Okay, let's get back to um, Romans chapter 8, where we are in, uh, we've got our hands on a couple of verses that are Paul's appalling summary of the doctrine of sanctification. Um, I'm afraid that there is a fair degree, a fair measure of uh, confusion uh, over the doctrine of sanctification, because, and, and we'll try to address some of that. But the, the, the place that I started last week was simply with that word, therefore. And I made a big old point out of, out of that therefore, and um, I, I don't think it was any, in any way overstated. Um, because I, what I tried to point out last week is that Paul is reasoning with his audience <clears throat> And the way that he reasons here is very important because before he makes the appeal in verse 13 to put to death the deeds of the body, that is the injunction. That is the the call. He's asking you to put to death the deeds of the body. But before what he does is that he lays the, the basis for that. In the verse, in the first 11 verses. Having done that in the first 11 verses, he says, therefore, I'm calling you to put to death the deeds of the body. Now, that therefore is referring to those first 11 verses where he discusses with you the security of the believer. Now, here's the point, guys. The basis on which a call to holy living is made is the basis of your security. It is, a, it is not a, um, a, a law-centered um, conscience that he appeals to. If you do that, you're going to um, pay. Yeah. The basis upon which he makes his appeal for us to go out and do this, that is, the this is put to death, the deeds of the... The basis is by teaching you first how safe and secure you are. Having taught that, he then says, therefore, go put to death the deeds of the body. Ladies and gentlemen, that is, that is revolutionary in evangelicalism. Because I think what you find in so many circles is an appeal to holy living based on a, you're going to get caught, or you're, you're going to feel bad the next morning, or um, et cetera, et cetera. Guys, the basis for an appeal to holy living is by communicating to you how safe you are. The, the illustration that I used last week and that I love to use is, again, I hope this doesn't pick on women. I hope it exalts them. But when do men, women respond most favorably to their husbands? It is when they are convinced how loved they are. I'm saying to you, when do we respond as the people of God with the most measure of zeal in combating sin, it is when we feel that we're the most loved. So the motive, ladies and gentlemen, behind holy living is the motive of security. Now, that's what's wrapped up in that, therefore, we'll proceed from there. I said to you last week that this is, in these two verses, you get a Pauline summary of the doctrine of sanctification. I've got it summarized in four little premises. That was my first one. That's premise number one, that the basis for the appeal is in your security. All right. That's that's. So from there, we move on. Um, the, the second thing. Now let me read the two verses first and then give you three other um, 
hopefully insights. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The second thing I would want you to notice in Paul's teaching about sanctification is that success in dealing with our sin, ladies and gentlemen, does not come immediately. Um, His appeal to holy living comes after he has described a Christian's existence. That is, at the moment of my conversion, ladies and gentlemen, I do not get some kind of instantaneous sanctification. The success that I'm going, hopefully, to to experience in dealing with my sin does not come immediately, nor does it come in conjunction with some kind of crisis experience. Um, Actually, Paul doesn't have any experience whatsoever in view here. Um, What he is describing in terms of sanctification is that it is a gradual, it's a, a gradual work to be, that, that continues throughout this life, That's why we call sanctification progressive. Gang, it is not, I mean, by no means of trying to take some kind of sectarian shot at the the neo-Pentecostal movement. But because of the neo-Pentecostal movement's emphasis upon having a crisis experience, such as something that is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there is... Uh, the implication that there is some kind of shortcut to a holy life. Ladies and gentlemen, there is no shortcut. Paul's uh, presentation of the doctrine of sanctification is by no means suggesting that your, your progress in it is going to come immediate, nor is it attached to any kind of experience, some kind of sudden crisis experience. No. It is a, it is a labor that is going to take place over a lifetime. So... Its appeal is out of your security. He reminds you that it is not instant. Thirdly, Paul does not say that this work of sanctification um, will be done to us or for us. It is a work that will be done by us. Gang, in, in, uh, uh, in verse 13, Paul is using a verb that has a present tense to it. In the Greek language, a present tense verb is always suggesting a present, ongoing, continual action. He's describing a continuous action of putting to death this, this, uh, this body of ours. It's a repeated, habitual action. Paul is not saying that that is done to you. It is not done for you. It is done by you. And uh, we're going to see something that complicates that in just a minute. But gang, victory is never going to come instantaneously. It's not even going to come completely. It may begin instantly, but this is a work to which you are being called. You are being called to put to death. The deeds of the body. Now, the other thing that I would observe just in terms of uh, verse 12 is that there's an implication here. He says, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. But it's not stated in the text. We're not debtors here, but we are debtors here. 
We're not debtors to live. We have no obligation to live to the flesh. No, no, no. But we do have an obligation, and that's what I mean by, impl- by way of implication. There is an obligation in um, living in a different way. I don't have this obligation, but I do have this other one. Yes, you do. Yes, you do, ladies and gentlemen. You do have an obligation. This is obligatory on the part of every believer that he works at putting to death the deeds of the flesh. You, um, you need to reason with yourself, ladies and gentlemen, because that's what Paul does. He doesn't call you to some ecstatic second experience, uh, but he reasons with you uh, by saying your obligation is not over here. He is asking you to understand that there is an obligation that is on you, and the obligation is to put to death. And we can put to death because we are now indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, gang, um, move with me to, to verse 13, where the, where the plot might thicken for you just a little bit. But what you get in verse 13 is some more specifics concerning the subject of sanctification. Now, the, the first thing I would like for you to note is that he is calling you to mortify or to put to death the body. It's the body, it's the physical frame, ladies and gentlemen, that is the problem. It's the body that still remains, or in in which sin still remains. It's in the body where sin still remains. Remember, in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, I buffet my body. It's the body that's the problem, ladies and gentlemen. It's the body where the battle rages. Um, It's the body that is not delivered. And those bodies that we carry around carry around with them some instincts that are, that are not in and of themselves evil, but they have become evil. For instance, um, there is no, nothing um, um, uh, um, intrinsically evil about our desire for food and water. There is nothing intrinsically de- uh, evil about our desire for sexuality, human sexuality. But ladies and gentlemen, it's, it's the, the sin that remains in the body that militates against a kind of um, proper handling of those God-given instincts. It's, it's, the, um, it's the body that takes those instincts and, and turns them into something that is... That is not good. It was, a, it was a good instinct, but it's been turned into something that's not so good. Um, the body tries to turn natural and normal instincts into something that is sinful and evil, and unfortunately has a great deal of success in doing so in all of us, does it not? Um, gang. The destruction of sin, or the the battle with sin, I guess I should say, is a slow, painful process. And you will notice in verse 3 that you are told that it is effected. Again, uh, uh, not effected. But effected. You, you will notice in verse 13 that the, the, um, 
this, this process is affected by the Spirit. Look, look at verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the, of the body, you will live. Now, gang, there is a marvelous balance contained in verse 13. Folks, um, here is a, um, an approach to, th- to sanctification that one of my friends calls an eat-your-vegetables um, approach to sanctification. Um, this is an approach to sanctification. Here's what you need to do to affect um, uh, a, a process of becoming more like Jesus. Well, you read your Bibles and you pray and you worship and you uh, give and you fellowship and you witness. And if you do all those things, the sum total will be holiness. Now, my buddy calls that an eat-your-vegetables approach to to, to sanctification. You do all those things, and and you're going to find some wonderful, marvelous progress going on in your soul, and you're going to become really just a holy little person. And I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, that that is horribly misguided. Gang, listen to me. You will never be sanctified by those things. But you will never be sanctified without those things. Do you notice what the text does, guys? It says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Gang, do you see what's being said? The marvelous balance that's contained in verse 13. The balance is, you're never going to put to death those deeds except by the Spirit, but it is your work. You are being asked to do things, but understanding that they will never be accomplished, they will never be effected except by the Spirit. Gang, all of our efforts at, at battling the sin that so disrupts our souls is only ultimately successful um, by the Spirit. These things, guys, I'm telling you, I don't know about you. This is what I was taught. I became a Christian. And um, very frankly, um, oh, my. Um, did you ever read any Jerry Bridges books? Um, do you remember the, the name Jerry Bridges? Um, uh, what, something to godliness, a pursuit of godliness. Did anybody ever read that? Guys, Jerry Bridges wrote that book and he told you that the way that you are to pursue holy living is these things and add a few more of them if you like somewhere, if you've got other. And he proceeded to tell you that that's the way you did it. I want you to know, Jerry Bridges has written a book taking back what he said in that book. Um, <clears throat> by the way, I, I, I must tell you this. Um, what was the title of the book? Um, Augustine at the end of his life. Oh, yes. Augustine, St. Augustine, the last book that he wrote in his life was entitled Retractionis. 
You understand what that says? <laughs> um, and looking back on some of the things that he taught, the last book that he wrote was a book called Retractionis. He came back and adjusted some of the things that he had taught. Gang, there is nothing wrong with these things. I'm supposed to hit this thing. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with these things. But apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit, they will produce nothing but moralism. They will produce a, a dead, dry, stale religiosity. Do you see what the text says? In, in a few short words, he says, put to death. That's your job. By the Spirit. It's his job. The New Testament, or Paul is teaching you a very wonderful um, approach to sanctification. And that is, yes, these things will be very valuable to you. But they'll only be effective by the Spirit. Now, gang, um, there have been... This, this word mortify, and actually I, in my translation it's put to death. Um, that is an activity that is performed on my part. I have a role to play in this whole sanctifying process. It is a ruthless, full-hearted resistance to sinful practices. I am supposed to declare war on attitudes and on behaviors that are that I know to be wicked. Christians are not to be people who toy and play around with sin. Understood and agreed. But ultimately, ladies and gentlemen, I must understand that that battle has got to be waged by the Spirit. Now, guys, you, you, you see me confusing you or talking out of both sides of my mouth? That's what I'm doing. The text says, it's your work and it's done by the Spirit. That's the marvelous difference in, well, that's the difference between sanctification and regeneration. You don't cooperate in your regeneration, but you do cooperate in your sanctification. Now, again, there's been all kinds of, um, um, mm, that was good. There's been all kinds of, um, Attempts to perform this work of sanctification that have been misguided. Have you ever heard of um, monasticism? Guys, monasticism came about because um, of the desire to get away from sin. You know, those are, those guys are monks. You know, um, I saw um, an advertisement for a Christian college. It will remain nameless, but you know the name. Um, it's a Christian college in the South. And this Christian college advertised in a brochure that it was 100 miles from the nearest known sin. That's monasticism, ladies and gentlemen. And it's misguided. Um, I'm about... Six inches from the nearest known sin. Um, <laughs> it, gang, but the rich, I had a young man come to me one time, and he's a, he's a handsome uh, college kid, and he went to the University of Florida, and good-looking guy, and he was, a, he was a, trying to be a, a, a consistent Christian, and he was having trouble with members of the opposite sex. 
Nobody's ever had that problem before, have we? And so he was struggling with his relationships to members of the opposite sex. And so I had lunch one day with him at Wendy's and he said, well, here's my solution. I'm not talking to them. I'm not calling them. I'm not going out with them. I'm not sitting next to them. I'm having nothing to do with them. And I looked at him and I said, Greg, that's monasticism. That's not your solution. That's not going to help you. If you think that somehow you're going to divorce yourself and, and run from, it's never going to work that way. Monasticism, ladies and gentlemen, was an attempt. It was a, a well-motivated attempt. It just wouldn't work. Another wonderful attempt at dealing with my sin, one of the things that I hate the most, is legalism. It is an attempt on the part of well-intentioned people who are saying, i gotta, I got to deal with my, my fleshly tendencies. And so here's the way I'm going to do it. I am going to... I am not going to go to a movie, and I am not going to uh, wear pants, if I'm a girl, and I am not going to, um, um, I'm not going to drink any wine, and I am not going to do this and this and this and this and this. And guys, I, I applaud the effort. But very honestly, this is incredibly misguided. The, the, the idea that if I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, if I do these things that I can total up and be a, a holy man, that's nonsense. That's utter nonsense. Guys, very frankly, without the Spirit's help, completely in the flesh, I can do all those things. I can stay away from wine and I can... <laughs> I can wear a skirt and uh, and I I can stay away from movies and I and I won't dance. Oh, that's a big one. And I won't. I can do all of that. Right. I mean, in the power of my flesh, I can do those things. But this was an attempt at dealing with my own propensities to sin. When Paul is giving you the formula or the instructions as to how sin is to be dealt with, it is. Put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. That's it for you, right there. Everything that the New Testament teaches is right. By the way, there was one other. Um, th- this is one error on one end of the spectrum. There's another error called passivism. That um, I- I've got all these problems. And they're the Holy Spirit's got to pull this thing off in me. And so I'm going to sit in some kind of spiritual rocking chair. And I'm going to wait for him to address all of my sinful tendencies. Ladies and gentlemen, have you ever heard of pietism? Um, quietism? They're, they're, all, they're just synonyms for this passivism word. Gang, those are all mistaken attempts at wrestling with something you and I both know that we want to wrestle with. There are things that were good that were planted in here that have now gone to seed. So how do I wrestle with them? I put them to death. That's my job by the Spirit. That's His job. I mean, there is this marvelous balance and this marvelous cooperation between me and my sin. I, I, I want to say it again, ladies and gentlemen. It is a, it is a full-orbed, ruthless, full-bodied resistance to sinful practices. Yes. You and I need to declare war on those things. 
old foot. Um, knowing that only by the, when, when married to the power of the Holy Spirit will they be effected and effective. Guys, um, this combination that you see, this, this wedding of these two things in verse 13, is what makes Christianity different from nothing more than moralism or morality. We are people who recognize that we are going to wrestle and groan over our own, our own souls, but we're going to do it and see, see progress by the Spirit. Let me mention a couple of quick things. i got eight minutes. Um, just in terms of the cooperative, you're into the formula. Your side of the formula. Now, guys, hear me. I have, I have got a gut full. I mean, I have taught it. I have been taught it. And I think you've heard it. That all I need to do is go out and observe these things. And I'm going to become holy. That is not so. I'll say it again. You'll never be sanctified by these things. But you'll never be sanctified without them. The, the, the difference is the beautiful marriage and wedding of the Holy Spirit's work to accomplish uh, the, the proper effect. Okay? Now, but let me, let me go to the, the, the side of the formula, which is our cooperative work, which I hope will be helpful for you. First of all, just some advice. Stop your moaning. Stop your complaining. The Bible says in 2, Timothy, 2 Peter 1 that everything that you need for life and godliness has been given to you. Oh, I'm just it's so hard living in this fallen culture of ours. And it is, ladies and gentlemen. It's getting harder and harder. Quit your complaining because everything you need for life and godliness has been given to us. Secondly, um, 1 Peter 2 talks about abstain. I wish I could find it real quick. 1 Peter 2 um, uh, Peter says, um, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fresh, fleshly lust, which war, wage war against the soul. He's calling you to stop it. <laughs> now, please don't mishear me. Don't forget that phrase in Romans 8.13 by the Spirit. But again, Peter says, stop it. I'll show you another little interesting statement. In fact, I use this. I come face to face with this statement a couple of times a, or several times a year. It's in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verses 11 and 12. Let me read it. And have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. Gang, not only do you not do it yourself, you don't fellowship with those who are doing it. Um, but uh, Jimmy, I'm trying to help these people. Tell me, how many have you helped in uh, your participation with them? Guys, don't um, uh, have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness. There is a statement in um, Romans chapter 13 where Paul says, Make no provision for the flesh. Gang, if you stand where sin is likely to pass by, don't be surprised if you get in line to follow it. Um, and then you find yourself all miserable and unhappy that you fell into sin. Guys, make no provision for the flesh. Uh, that's Romans thirteen fourteen. Guys, I, when I did singles at Central Church, 
I, I had some things said to me that would raise the hair on the back of my neck about one woman called a man and invited her over to his apartment and, and she, she told him, I forget the exact words, but she said something like this. She said, why don't you come over and let's play some? Well, what was she thinking? I mean, and then she comes to me and she complains about how horrible the event became. And, and I said, well, you know, what did you say? Oh, well, I said, just come over and play some. I said, what, 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 were, you, what were you trying to do? What were you? The point is, guys, you, you put yourself where sin is and you'll be up to your earlobes in it. You know, um, one of the things that Job says, he says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. You know, if there's ever anything that's needed in our day, it's a covenant with our eyes, particularly for us men. Um, you know, I, I used to not think that I could control my eyes. You know, it's just too much out there. It's just too much stuff passing in front of me to... Con- and then I was driving down the expressway one day, and I, and I saw about a mile off this, this red carcass. You know, something had gotten run over by an 18-wheeler, and it was just all mangled, right? You know, I, I don't like blood and guts. I'm not a kind of a blood and guts kind of guy. I don't like to look at that stuff, and I don't like, you know, bodily fluids and all that. I just, I don't, I just don't like it. Anyway, so I'm driving down this, this expressway, and I'm going whatever, you know, I'm sure it was the speed limit, but um, uh, and I'm getting closer and closer and closer to this thing, and it's right there in front of me, this big old heap of mangled carcass, bloody, didn't, and I drove right past that thing, and you know what? I didn't look at that. And I thought, well, yeah, I do have an ability to control my eyes. You know, particularly us men... Um, we need to make a covenant with my eyes. Guys, in those, I meant to say this earlier, but when, um, when Peter says, you know, abstain and make no provisions for the flesh and all that stuff. Gang, um, some of us have some, some subscriptions to magazines that we need to cancel. You know, that we kind of hide so that the rest of the family doesn't see it. Make no provisions for the flesh. Don't be surprised if, if you put yourself where sin is passing by that you jump in to follow it. And I have one other piece of advice for you, and this I don't know that you're going to understand. I hope I can explain myself. But here's what I see, ladies and gentlemen, from, from where I sit from time to time. I, if this happened to me Saturday afternoon, I was asked into a situation where there has been a, a whole lot of bad. Um... If you find yourself in a position where you are the counselor for someone who has fallen, gotten themselves, and, and who of us won't, it, it, we, we will be the counselee uh, before long. But um, I tell you this, let's just say we are the ones that did the falling. Here's, here's my plea for you. Do not heal yourself too quickly. Do not heal yourself too, too easily. There is an interesting statement in the, in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 6, verse 14, where um, the prophets were saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. And, and it goes on to say, they healed the hurt of my daughter Israel slightly. You know, gang, uh, when, when people come to, in, to my life and they are telling me all of this 
that they're, that's happened and what's going on. And my natural, really, it, my natural desire is to hopefully come alongside and, and to provide some measure of comfort and say that it's, it's, it's really going to be all right. Um, but what I'm saying is there are instances where we do that way too quickly. And what we do is we heal the hurt of our people, Israel, only slightly. Because we say peace, peace much too readily, much too quickly, much too easily. Don't heal yourself too readily. There needs to be some, some agony over our sin. You, you know, the, the people who, who deal with sin too quickly, you know what Jeremiah called them? He called them false prophets. That's what they had done to Israel. Israel was racing after her sin and, and the prophets came along and spoke nothing but smooth words to them and, and they healed the daughter of my people, but only a little. I'm saying, guys, we, um, when, we, when we blow it, and we will, we don't need to come to comfort too quickly. Sin needs to rattle our souls and, um, and develop a greater hatred of it. Um, I've said this on a numerous occasions. Uh, our, greatest, our greatest enemy is disobedience. And our greatest friend is, is obedience. I hope that I have set those things in context for you, ladies and gentlemen. I have to tell you that either of those out of balance and you've got a wrong view of sanctification. All those things that I closed with have to be set in the context that they can only be effective by the Spirit. Don't forget that. Let's quit. Our Father, we are a people who are serious about dealing with our sin. And, and your word says if we, by the Spirit, put to death, the deeds of the flesh, we will live. We are a people who are alive by the Spirit. We have been brought to life by the Spirit. And so now, O oh God, we ask that you would enable us to walk by that same Spirit, dealing with our sin as ruthlessly and as continuously as we are required in this never-ending battle of the body. And I, and I pray, Lord, that you will... Um, Work in us a renewed determination to do what needs to be done to make no provision for the flesh. Lord, thank you um, for the finished work of Christ. And as we leave here tonight, uh, I pray that you will remind us that you will preach the gospel, that we will preach the gospel to our own selves, being reminded that it is for sinners that Jesus Christ has come and died. We commit ourselves to him afresh and do so in Jesus' name. Amen.